him about that like 10 minutes after it happened. And, and he said, I don't, I don't know what happened on that. I said, Mark, you're the only one in the gym, and you're the only one that's been in the locker room in the past 10 minutes. But I, I, I swear to God, I don't, I don't know anything about it. I swear to God. He's been abducted by aliens too many times. He's, yeah. He's got that circular pattern of warts around his navel that indicates the machine they attached to him in the spacecraft. That's what it does, you know. Yeah, it's a thing, man. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we're here with, uh, with Matt Reynolds. We're talking about Whiskey, all right? And I know that uh, many of you that uh, uh, pay attention to this board and pay attention to our videos and attend our seminars are also interested in whiskey. And those of you that aren't interested in whiskey, just turn it off. Turn it off, go away. We're talking about whiskey. And uh, uh, Matt, uh, as you can see, is a high functioning alcoholic. <laughs> And uh, 2.30 in the afternoon. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. Look at him. I, in fact, I had advised him earlier to just kill that, kill that uh, dram he has poured in there that it might improve his on-air presence. He declined. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, he and I have uh, similar collections of whiskey at the house, and uh, we enjoyed the product. And as a result, we've... Uh, We've learned some things. Uh, Matt, having more time available than me, uh, <laughs> has done a better job of researching it than I have. And so we're going to talk to Matt about some whiskey topics today. So, Matt, what the hell's going on here? How's it going, man? Well, this is a uh, certainly your fault. Uh, I didn't drink whiskey before I met you. That's and true. So, as and, we, uh, uh, you know, as I, I don't know how what, many people are aware. What did you drink? Huh? What did you drink? Uh, beer, craft beer, mostly. Craft beer. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've never drank crappy beer. I would, I would drink good beer, but you Long know, Long Island was, iced tea. No, no, you I wasn't really into those? mixed drinks. Just you know, good dark beer, stuff right. like that. But you know, as most people, I don't know if they're aware of it, but when we staff the seminars, it is kind of our tradition to go back to your hotel room and and sip on whiskey and talk about you know libertarian politics and whatnot. I started getting into it. You know, it's funny that as I've in being at your house, you've got such a great collection and you really got into this really before the boom exploded. Um, you know, bourbon has exploded the last five or six years and you were into it five or six years before that. Yeah. And so you were able to procure some bottles that you just can't find anymore. I mean, it's not about having the money. It's about that's the supply is no longer there. And so, you know, I, I was able to, to try some of that stuff at your house, and, and it gave me an idea of things to try on my own. And so I started to, started to, my own collection of, of really basic, simple priced, you know, $25 and $30 whiskeys, things that were uh, a step above your typical sort of Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, Evan Williams sort of stuff, but not at the level of what you had, and, and uh, developed a taste for it. And, and with that, I just, you know, I was interested in where it came from. I think one of the things I'm attracted to in this world is that it's made such a similar way today that it has been for hundreds of years. Um, the families that made it a couple hundred years ago make it today. And so I just, it's kind of got a, a cool story, good history, and it's a simple product and it's, it's just, it's fun. Well, so, let's talk about that. Uh, 
let's, uh, let's talk first, for those of you that are interested, but uh, don't really have a background in this, what are the different types of whiskeys and sure. what, what are the differences? Yeah, so uh, the most popular whiskey out there probably is scotch, or at least it has been historically. Scotch is made, uh, first of all, it has to be made in Scotland to be called scotch. It can't be called scotch. It can be called scotch-style whiskey. Um, or say malt called, whiskey or malt whiskey. Right, or malt whiskey, right. And it's called that because all scotch is made from uh, barley, malted barley, 100% malted barley. So like if, barley it's a, if it's an all-barley malt whiskey. Correct. Now, a, a blended scotch uh, can have... In fact, up to, I mean, this is like the doers and the, you know, yeah. the low end kind of stuff. Can yep. have up to, what is it, 60% grain whiskey? I think it has to be less than 50, but yeah, neutral grain spirits. Which, which is, is vodka, basically. Vodka. Right, yeah, it's vodka, you? usually made from grain. Uh, but yeah, your typical, the, in the mid-80s, single malt scotches really came into, you know, they were kind of a icy thing. So those are made with... Uh, with barley, it's, it's basically, it's distilled beer. That's what it is. Beer is primarily made from barley. You distill barley, you get scotch. Um, scotch well, if is, you distill barley, uh, let's, 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 be, let's be precise here. If you've got a whiskey that is made of just barley malt and, uh, and, has, and, and the malt has received no uh, particular treatment, and we'll talk about this in a second, before the distillation process. Basically, what you have there is Irish whiskey. Right, except the difference is, is that the flavor, so Irish whiskey is a, is a like boring scotch. Yes. It's made it's the a, same way scotch is, without really anything. Without really of the, without any of the flavor. Correct. <laughs> scotch, yeah. what, di what differs. Now, the, you uh, Irish guys are going to argue with this, but yeah, really your, your, your whiskey is not. Really Countable. much. It's a little bit better than a Canadian, but not much. That's right. And, so what uh, make what makes Scotch different is that is that peat moss grows. I mean, all over the place in Scotland, and so that peat moss both flavors the water in Scotland much much in the way that limestone filters the water in Kentucky for bourbon. Uh, the peat will you know that water runs through the peat moss and flavors it with peat, and then when they dry the malt. Uh, they have the process of drying the malt by burning this peat moss and and essentially fanning the peat moss smoke across the malt, which gives it this really smoky, peaty, burnt, mossy flavor. And that's what you get with a lot of these Isla, the scotches from the island, uh, like Laphroaig and Ardbeg and things like that. It makes it real smoky. You're not going to open one up in the basement, and Rachel will text me upstairs, and she'll say, are you drinking Laphroaig? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm drinking Lafroix. It's, I can a, it's smell got it. a distinctive uh, nose to it. Yeah. So yeah. let's back up even further. Barley malt. Barley malt is sprouted barley. And this is, right. is going to be, this is just the preamble for all grain fermented products. If you take yep. barley grain um, and harvest the grain and put it in a sack, and sell it to a maltings, then what, what the guys at the malting house will do is soak that grain in warm water yep. for a, 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 at a specific temperature for a specific period of time. During this period of time, the grain sprouts. You actually get a little sprout coming out of the end of the grain. And what's going on there is that the DNA in the uh, nucleus of the seed 
is waking up and beginning to ferment, uh, begin, I'm sorry, beginning to convert the starch stored in the seed into sugar using enzymes produced in the nucleus of the seed. These enzymes are critical for this process. So when we malt uh, a seed, then we create uh, the, we wake up the machinery that's in the seed that turns the stored starch. It's a, it's a storage form of carbohydrate, just like glycogen is in your muscles. It is a storage form of carbohydrate that, it, that provides the seed with the energy it needs to go ahead and produce the root system, all this other stuff. So we're taking advantage of the genetic information in the nucleus of the seed and malting it. And after the seed begins to sprout, then the malt is, is it's taken out of the water, the water's drained away, and it's dried. And it is now still malt. In other words, now you have a malted grain with the enzymes active in the grain that can convert the starch into sugar. In the case of Scotch whiskey, the malt is dried over a peat fire and now the malt retains that smoky flavor produced by the peat fire. And so that is, that's really the basis of, uh, of all uh, distillation is that we, we take these, these malted uh, grains and then we wake them back up by putting them into what's called a mash tun with a bunch of water, hot water. Uh, the enzymes begin to convert all of the, a lot of the starch in the seed into sugar. That sugar soaks out into the water. That water is now referred to as the sweet liquor. And this is what is fermented. Yeast is pitched into that and the fermentation process takes place, raising the alcohol percentage in the sweet liquor uh, up as high as the uh, alcohol will 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 go uh, in the process because the alcohol tends to kill off the the yeast at some point sure and then the distillation process takes place the the, the that liquid is boiled and the alcohol that has developed in it is caught in the distillation process and it's distilled two or three times and then you've got any number of alcoholic beverages that are that are produced as a in response to this complicated process and all of the whiskeys that we're going to talk about now are subsequent to that basic process. Right. So Irish is basically scotch without any ingredients except alcohol. No peat, um, right. It's barley and it's kiln dried so it doesn't retain any flavor of, you know, of peat moss. So there's no peat moss that dries it, used to dry right. it. So, and there's not so much peat used in the water. And then now there is a... Uh, uh, my favorite Irish whiskey is Connemara. It's a peated product. Yeah, that's a that's a nice whiskey. But I haven't found anything else, any other Irish I really like. Uh, but of, of interest to us, especially me and Matt, are the American versions of yep. uh, of whiskey, specifically bourbon and rye. Yep. So same process with bourbon and rye. Bourbon is got to be made in America. So much of the way that scotch has to be made in Scotland to be called bourbon has to be made in the United States. The vast majority of bourbon is made in Kentucky, it does not have to be made 
in Bourbon County or in Kentucky specifically, but that is really the the epicenter of bourbon in the U.S., it has to be made with at least 51% corn. So it has to be mostly corn to be called bourbon. Now, virtually all bourbon is made with significantly more than 51% corn. Most of it's made with 70% or more. You think it, when you think about a corn kernel, you think about how much sugar and starch is in that. It gives us lots of sugar for that yeast to eat and turn into alcohol. So it very easily, very cleanly is turned into alcohol. And... If we go back to the history of our country, it was an easy way to transport this corn product that we had. If we had tons and tons of, you know, bushels and bushels of corn, that was very difficult to transport across the country, but it was far easier to transport barrels of whiskey. So once they learned how to make bourbon out of out of corn. So the problem with corn... Yeah, it allowed them to, to more easily transport the uh, the produce of, uh, of the farm in a more yeah. concentrated... Uh, higher value kind of a yeah the price was still high right though so the problem with corn however is that corn doesn't have a lot of flavor um it's not it doesn't have a real distinct flavor i mean it's it's corn it's sweet sweet but but there's not a kellogg's corn yeah it's not a lot of complexity there are some corn whiskeys if you ever want to try i mean there's things i think mellow corn and there's some of these that's uh, a heaven hill product isn't it i've got still have a bottle of that it's yeah i mean it's, it's pretty good yeah, it's not bad. It's just a sweet, it's just corn simple, but flavored. it's pretty yep. good. As a matter of fact, if you were going to do something terrible like mix whiskey and soda, whiskey and Coke, that would be the one to use. It would be a, <laughs> it was be an all corn type product, something cheap. But so to make bourbon, they use an additional, you know, fifteen percent to thirty percent flavoring grain, which is always done with either rye or wheat. And so because rye and wheat have much more distinguishable flavor components, then bourbon is made with, you know, around 70% up to 80%, 85% corn. And the additional percentage is rye with a little bit of barley or wheat with a little barley malt. And that barley malt is always in there because barley malt just gives it the correct enzymes to help more efficiently let the yeast eat the sugar and turn it into alcohol. So barley malt is in really just about every whiskey there is. But in bourbon, it's in the 5 to 10% range, whereas in Scotch and Irish, it's 100% barley malt. It's included in all, right? So, so that's, that's bourbon. And then rye is really the same thing as bourbon. It's just 51% or more rye. Um, my, the rye that I like, and we, we, you know, we taste a lot of rye, I like a 95% rye mash bill. 95% rye, 5% malt, which is primarily— And, and when uh, we say the term mash bill, we're talking about— the uh, constituent percentages of the, of the different types of grain that are in the recipe for the whiskey. That's yep. what the term mash bill talks about, and you'll see that discussed quite a bit. So when we when we say mash bill, uh, th- this is critical to the to the to the way any whiskey tastes because of the uh, the components uh, of the different percentages of grain I- involved in the whiskey and some whiskeys. Uh, are real, real famous for, uh, some bourbons specifically are famous for having a high amount of wheat. And uh, these have gotten real popular. These have gotten real popular. What, uh, what's your favorite wheated bourbon right now? Well, I'm, I'm not going to say Pappy Van Winkle. No, because that's because that's pointless. It's a good to, way, to if you go to a bar and you ask for Pappy Van Winkle, then the you're bar- either 
a douchebag. Uh, you're, <laughs> usually you're a fraternity boy whose dad yeah. has a lot of money and you've heard the term and you're a douchebag. Correct. But, but the yeah. infamous Pappy Van Winkle is a weeded bourbon. Um, I'm actually drinking right now, I'm drinking a blend of Weller 12 and Weller Antique, which is a seven-year-old 107 proof. Um, they actually call this a poor man's Pappy. You, you blended a 50-50 uh-huh. mix of uh, Weller 12-year-old, which is actually the same thing as Van Winkle Lot B, um, it's just kind of this factory seconds, right? Van uh-huh. Winkle family gets the first pick of those barrels. What's left over becomes the Weller 12. Um, Lot B is going to retail, I think, for around 300 bucks, uh, And, of course, will sell for significantly more than that on the secondary market. Uh, the Weller 12 is going gonna, is gonna to retail for about $45. That's if the you deal. can find it. And you probably can. If you can find it. And this is a – we'll talk more about this later, but uh, – uh, strange things have happened in the bourbon market over the past five years. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and finish our discussion of types of whiskey. Sure. Um, two more important, two more important styles. One I think is, is, uh, not respected at all. And one is becoming very respected in the industry. And, and so the first the, is the Canadian whiskey. Um, and generally the whiskey connoisseurs cannot stand Canadian whiskey. And much of that is actually due to the fact that Canada doesn't have the same laws that we do. Um, and so post-prohibition, we had a lot of laws go into effect about how you had to produce whiskey, what it had to be to be called bourbon, um, what percentage of grain the mash bill had to contain, how many years it had to be stored in a barrel. Also to be called bourbon, it has to be in a brand new charred white oak barrel. Um, and it has to be in there for at least two years, although I don't really know any bourbon that's on the market that's in a barrel for less than four years. And so that we have, there are very tight standards in the U.S. Canadian whiskey doesn't have that standard. So if you think of over time, you know, Canadian Mist and Canadian Club and all these blended whiskeys were mostly um, 10 or 20 percent decent whiskey and 70 or 80 percent grain neutral spirits, which is essentially vodka, vodka right? Vodka. Um, you know, it's and so that's that's the problem with Canadian. Now there are some decent brands of Canadian whiskey, things like. Whistlepig and Jefferson's and Masterson's. Most of them actually have whiskey made in the U.S. Though those are all made in the American style, though. Correct. And Whistlepig is twice too much money. Correct. Uh, it is, as far as I know, it's an MGP. It is an MGP uh, rye. Uh, rye, and yep. uh, you can find it, good MGP rye for. And when we say that, we mean uh, uh, the company that owns uh, the distillery in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. And, Correct. Uh, uh, they make a good product, and in fact, some of the best rye uh, available yeah. is uh, is MGP rye. If it's aged correctly, it's a wonderful product. Yep. Uh, but I have never had, and I say this with uh, with both uh, absolute sincerity, and uh, you know, a, a, a large measure of sorrow. I have never had a quality Canadian whiskey. Sure. I don't believe that there are any, and I'd be, I'd be willing to uh, taste one. Sure. Uh, but I, I, I've never had anything that I consider drinkable. Uh, I don't. I've never had any, uh, any Canadian whiskey that I thought was as good as Jim Beam White, which is not really beverage alcohol. And uh, uh, like Jack Daniels, uh, that's that's not beverage alcohol. So uh, 
you know, I throw the Canadians in there with that. If you just want to get drunk, just get some Everclear and get a get a bot get a can of of club soda and put the Everclear in the club soda and you've got Bud Light. Right? Yep. For not not that much money. It's cheaper than Bud Light. Tastes exactly the same. Coors Light, Miller Light, all of those all of those beers can be accurately replicated with club soda and Everclear for a lot less money. Uh, so, uh, so you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Jack Daniels. We should probably just mention what Tennessee whiskey is. Yeah, yeah Tennessee whiskey. Um, there are really only a few of these. Uh, George Dickel and Jack Daniels being the two that are the most prominent use something called the Lincoln County process. It is really the same thing as bourbon. The difference is, is that it's run through several feet of uh, maple charcoal before it goes into the barrel. So it's run through a maple charcoal filter before it goes into the barrel, which essentially removes all the flavor. Yeah, pre-ages the whiskey is the idea. Yeah. Like, well, we're gonna we're gonna give it we're gonna let it pick up as much woody, oaky flavor as possible. I guess it'd be maple, not oaky, but that kind of woody, burnt woody flavor before it goes into the barrel. Well, but the 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 filtration also removes quite a few things that correct that, all of the, uh, as far as I'm concerned actually belong in the whiskey. Yep. And uh, of course, what do I know? I'm done. I've never well, that's really become a big, that's become a big piece of of whiskey lately. As whiskey becomes more and more popular, people want non chill filtered whiskey. So whiskey's right. got some vegetable oils in it from the grain, and they typically when you if you buy a barrel, we I've got I'm in with a group of guys. We buy a barrel twice a year. So about twenty five of us go together and get a barrel. We take a tour of the distilleries and buy a barrel. Typically, they will then you'll taste the whiskey. You know, they'll line up five or six barrels. You'll taste five or six blind tasting of the barrels, you'll vote on the best barrel and you'll purchase that barrel. Depending on the type of whiskey, you know, maybe it's $10,000 or 6,500 bucks or whatever. And then it takes several months to get it because they typically chill filter the whiskey because they want it to be very clear and clean looking in the bottle. But the, the new kind of in vogue thing is to get the whiskey that's non-chill filtered. We want it straight from the barrel. This, is a, this has become important in Scotch marketing recently yep. as well and I applaud it it's uh, uh it doesn't need to be clear that's uh right. that particular aesthetic uh I, I don't see the point in it I really don't uh, well, I think they also have have gotten away from whether well, there's, there's some whiskeys have stopped adding caramel color to the whiskey to yep. make the yep. thing look the right older. the right color older it, it replicates wood uh, yep. In appearance, and uh, this is uh, this is also. Uh, uh, I mean, there are uh, since they've been doing that. Uh, those of us that pay attention to this have have discovered that there are some very very expensive, well regarded whiskeys on the market that are caramel colored and are darker than they would be uh, had they not had this treatment. Um, the the smokiest peatiest scotches I've ever had are non-chill filtered and non-caramel colored and look like Chardonnay. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're very, very pale in the yeah. glass and in the bottle. And uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. As we go along, we learn about this stuff. And uh, 
The last one, let's you want to hit the last one real quick. The last one yeah. is interesting. It's Japanese whiskey. And in kind of traditional Japanese fashion, they're just they're good they at not inventing this stuff, but taking what we've already done and figuring out how to make really good whiskey using our recipes. Yes, and, so and, and it's not scotch, but nope. it is a damned good. A lot good. of those Japanese malt whiskeys, yep. and they're, they're going to be single malt or malt whiskeys is what they're yep. called, since they're not made in Scotland. But they are, ex there are some extremely, like the Yamazaki stuff, there yep. is some of that stuff that's really, really, yes. you got a bottle of Yamazaki? Yeah, actually, uh, let's see. Yeah, That's it. This is the normal expression of the Yamazaki 12-year-old. Really and what's good. that worth now? Well, I don't know. It's a couple hundred bucks for sure. Are you serious? I first bought that bottle, and it was $39. Yeah. It was five or six years ago I bought a bottle of that. $39. And I said, man, this is a fabulous copy of an Eiley malt whiskey. And yeah, I tell you what, Emily and Diego sent this to me. And uh, I don't, you know, 65. Know Matt, uh, Nick says he got one for 65. Yeah, that's what they retail for. But the problem oh, but is the secondary market is the problem right. on. I mean, good luck finding. I mean, that's this is comes back to that secondary market issue where, you know, essentially there are enough rules in the retail world that this whiskey will retail for one price, but is instantly really worth something else on Craigslist or on Facebook group. Right. And so. And so they don't typically sit on the shelf either at all or for more than five or ten minutes because you can triple or quadruple your money. Right. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's so. an interesting. That's an interesting little side note. The whiskey uh, retail industry is kind of odd. Nick and I were down at uh, a Specs. Where was that? Fort Worth. Yes. We were at the Specs in Fort Worth. No, it was Houston. It was, in Houston. was that Houston? Yeah. So, yeah, that was a long drive. Yeah, that was down in in Houston. We went down to Baker's. And we went to the specs down there, and uh, on Matt's, uh, on the left-hand side of Matt's screen, there's a bottle of Eagle Rare 10-year-old. Oh. Other side, the, uh, that stuff right there. Uh, this is a 10-year-old uh, really Buffalo Trace product. Uh, it's in the oak for 10 years, and this normally retails for somewhere between Twenty-nine and thirty-one dollars. Yep. Now these guys at Specs had that bottle uh, marked at twenty-six dollars, but but the interesting thing is that they would only allow one bottle yep. per customer, and it was locked up sure. in their in their high-dollar whiskey cabinet. And sure. I we asked the guy, we said, "What is wrong with you guys?" If if it is worth this much money, you only got it marked to $26. Wouldn't it make better sense if you marked that up to $65 and let me buy four bottles if I want to, sure. uh, to buy four bottles, and then you make the money based on my perception of the value of that bottle of whiskey? Sure. And uh, the guy's, uh, you know, he's $8 an hour guy, and he said, well, just, just do what I'm told. <laughs> and so I so, said, well, I'm not asking you, because I know you don't know. I'm just asking the air here in the yeah. store. Why is, why is supply and demand price not, allow, not allowed to work in this particular market? And he said, I just do what I'm told. So, uh, Do you know why? 
I, it I really do, no, I don't. Yes. I have no idea. Supply, so demand, price it, works pretty well everywhere else. It's tried, sure. you know. There's two. There's two reasons for this. One is some state regulations make it so that they can't charge the higher price. So in some states, Missouri is one of these states. Uh, retailers can only sell whiskey, or really any any alcohol, any dis distillate that comes from a licensed distributor. So for example, if you if you found a bottle of privately owned sealed Pappy Van Winkle in Missouri, you could not sell it at a bar and you can't sell it at a retail store. It has to come from from it, the distillery. It has to the, have the label on it. From the distributor. Well, even if it doesn't have the label, I mean, it has to come. The just, I'm sorry, the tax stamp. Yeah, it has right? to have essentially, which they don't have tax right. stamps on anymore. But yes, that same kind of idea. And the, and the distillery sets the retail price. And so if it comes from the distributor, who's the middleman between the distillery and the retail place, the distillery says, Buffalo Trace says, you have to sell Pappy Van Winkle for $129 a bottle, even though it's worth $3,000, even though it's selling on the secondary market $3,000. So in the states where they have to sell from distributed alcohol, they have to sell it for that or the distributors won't distribute them alcohol anymore. But in states where they're allowed to sell privately owned bottles, you'll see this all the time. You'll see prices on there in an actual retail liquor store at secondary market values. Right. So that's kind of what you end up with. Well, that's interesting that uh, there's enough interest in, in this that, uh, that there even exists an internet secondary market on these things. And if you really want a bottle of Pappy, you're that stupid. You have to have a bottle of Pappy because you've heard it's really, really good. And uh, once again, alcohol does this. Diminishing returns kind of thing. We yep. see that pattern a lot. And uh, in other words, a $3,000 bottle of Pappy Van Winkle is not that much better than a $300 bottle of uh, Lot B. Uh, sure. But if you just have to have that, you can actually obtain it if you've got the money. And that's good. That's good. That's the way the market should be functioning. And we were just surprised uh, to see that uh, this commonly available product everywhere else, the 10-year-old the Eagle Rare, uh, was locked up in a cabinet in Houston. And I, don't, I still don't understand that. But, sure. uh, but Typically, uh, if I'm going to recommend a bottle of bourbon to an entry-level guy uh, and I want him to get the best value for his money, uh, I'm probably going to tell him 10-year-old Eagle Rare is a good place to start because that's a, that's a damn good product. And, sure. and this, this leads us to another interesting aspect of this. Uh, there are some things that large companies do better than small companies, uh, like making cars, for example. Uh, these people that rail against corporatism and globalism, all this other shit. Uh, you guys, hey, make your own car, okay? Uh, <laughs> whose car are you driving? A Ripito car, or are you driving a Toyota? <laughs> well, I'd advise you to drive the Toyota. And for the same reason, what you see is that uh, Large companies usually, most of the time, make better whiskey than small companies. Yep. And, and I, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's the exact opposite of the beer industry, right? So in the beer industry, the American corporate companies 
make the worst beer. You know, water, it, it, they appeal to the masses, and the masses want beer that doesn't have any taste so they, they can get hammered at the lake. Right. That it's, so, it's for the lake. It's water, bubbles, and alcohol. And right. thus my previous Bud Light recipe. Right. Uh, and I stand by that. I think that's an excellent way to use the six bucks. Sure. You know, get a. So, I, you know how many cases of Bud Light you can make out of a fifth of Everclear? And a ca <laughs> and a and ten dollars worth of club soda, I, I, you know, well, a couple. <laughs> you can make a couple of cakes. Sure. Yeah. So whiskey is uh, the opposite. So so the thing about whiskey is because bourbon goes in a new charred oak barrel, it reaches its really its peak at eight to twelve years, and that's a little bit different than Scotch. And there's a couple reasons for that. One is that Scotch, if you think about the weather in Scotland versus the weather in Kentucky. The weather in Kentucky is very hot in the summer, very cold in the winter. So there's lots of expansion and contraction in and out of this barrel. And so it ages faster in Kentucky than it does in Scotland, where the weather is just kind of dreary all the time, right? right? It's not, it's mild. And then the other issue there is that scotch goes in used barrels, uh, you know, used bourbon barrels, used wine barrels, they go in used. And so not new charred barrels. So in a bourbon, they literally take the barrel and they, they shoot a flamethrower into it and just char the shit out of the inside of this thing till it's basically ready to fall. I mean, they char it to the point that if they charred it anymore, it would fall apart. And then they fill it full of whiskey. And so you can imagine what that- And they rate char the chars as number right, one. One to four, yep. Two, but three, and four. what's funny is that over the years, because we've gotten to where we like oak flavor so much, Whiskey that used to use, so the char rating is basically from zero to four, four being the greatest amount of char. Whiskeys that used to use like a char rating two or two and a half are now using a three and a half or a 3.75. And the vast majority of whiskeys, the bourbons in the U.S., use a, a char four, which is the highest char rating you can get without the barrel falling apart, without messing with the integrity of the barrel. And so it, it, it ages pretty quick, but still eight to 12 years. You think about if you were starting a company. That is a long time to wait between producing a product Correct. and selling that product. And right. uh, it, that's a capital intensive uh, procedure. I, I, you, you know, I can't wait, uh, you know, 10 years between printing a book and selling the book to you to let the book age. I need to print it and I need to sell it. And uh, any company that that proposes to wait 10 years between turning the product over uh, had better have a pretty damn good cash flow established. And right. this is the reason why uh, large corporations do a better job with bourbon and products that require uh, a lot of age. Uh, then, for instance, beer. Beer's what three months old. Yep. In the, take in the you know, in the in the oh, uh, you know, InBev. How long do they age? Uh, InBev owns Anheuser Busch now. Busch, Budweiser, right? Uh, that stuff's yeah, what? Takes uh, about a month. Two days right. old. Two <laughs> two and a half days they age it. Beechwood aged. <laughs> it's Beechwood aged. Uh, just Everclear club soda. And uh, uh, you know, there's a there's an example of a of a huge multinational corporation that could, in fact, if they chose to do it, make a quality product. And they may have one or two labels that are quality products, but I'm not aware of them. And uh, 
I think that uh, over the past 20 years, uh, the United States has led the way in the revolution of uh, the craft beer market. And, uh, you know, 20 years ago, all the good beer was in Europe. And that is certainly as hell no longer the case. Yep. Uh, American uh, uh, brewers are doing a great job. Uh, but because of the difference in the nature of the two products, uh, craft brewers in the United States uh, that are basically small, uh, you know, 10 person operations are making a product far in excess in quality of that which you'll find uh, produced by the larger companies. Uh, and whiskey's the, exactly the opposite. Uh, and barrel so long and the families the funny thing is the families that are the master distillers if you look at at the beams and even though we think of jim beam as not being like the actual branded whiskey of jim beam mm, the white label. Of whiskey right um they, they've got some high level whiskeys but the beam family has a have essentially been master distillers in virtually all of the distilleries and there aren't very many of them there's only 12 or 14 that make 95 percent of all of the whiskey in the united states and it's again, and actually those, those same distilleries that are operating today are on the same grounds and use some of the same uh, machinery that they used 100 years ago. Now, they've updated them as they go, but you don't see a lot of new startup companies. I mean, really kind of the newest one that's broken through is Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark came out in the 70s, and, and they basically advertised a product that was a weeded bourbon. They actually got their recipe from, from Pappy Van Winkle, from Julian Van Winkle, from the, the son of Pappy. And uh, made a weeded bourbon and sold it as a premium product, more expensive than your typical Jack Daniels and Jim Beam. And they have done okay. They've certainly done better over the last 20 years than they did in the 70s. And so um, now you're starting to see the same thing with Willet. Uh, Willet was a company. We've, we love Willet Rye. We've got a lot of Willet Rye. We find this in Texas. Willet is, a, up until the last couple of years, has been a non-distiller producer, which means they buy distillate from somebody else from MGP is a that company from in the, Indiana from the Larchburg distilling in in, uh, in Indiana yeah. and yep. uh, as a as as a non-distilling producer these guys have done a hell of a job Incredible. when you yep. if you can find the eight-year-old uh, will it rye what you're going to be buying is a bottle of MGP's juice that yep. has been aged for eight years at Willet, and it's ninety dollars, and it's and it's and it's, and it's, and it's worth every dime of that. Yeah, it's about four hundred bucks on the secondary it's, market. It, so it's it's if you find a bottle of eight year old Willet, buy it, buy it from I'll buy I'll pay you back for it. And uh, <laughs> we found Tom Tom and and Nick and I found three bottles of it in uh, San Antonio last year. We we bought up the three bottles they had at Specs. Uh, but Willet has started to produce their own. So four and years they're doing ago, it, and I've got a bottle of their three-year-old. That's right. those guys That's are top-notch company, top-notch yeah, company. Just so watch them a, in the future. Two-year, a three-year, and a four-year rye. So they now have their four-year rye out. It's outstanding, um, and they actually just released their first bourbon. It's called Old Bardstown Bottle and Bond. Um, it's a it's a cheaper bourbon. I think it runs in the thirty dollar range. You can right now. I think you can only buy it at the at the distillery, but it's about to come out on the on the market. Ah. Um, and it's and it's distilled there at, at Willet. So you know, it's just really hard. You've got some other bigger companies like High West. 
um, has has they've been a non-distiller producer and they've started to distill their own. And what they essentially what they're doing is they're buying distillate from another company and barreling it and selling it for to make enough profits while they're waiting on their own distillate to age. Uh-huh. And so that's what High West has done. So they have their own stuff. They've been distilling, but it hasn't hit the market yet. So I think they might maybe have an oat whiskey that's come out on the market. But other than that, their bourbon and their rye haven't come out. And in the next few years, they will. And so basically, it's this kind of this, they try to stay alive for the first decade until they can start putting right. out their own stuff that sat in a barrel for 10. That's why the bigger companies do better. So and then the other interesting thing about the big companies, Rip, is that the way these same whiskeys change their names as they get older, right? So if you take that Eagle Rare you talked about, the the youngest version of that Eagle Rare is actually Buffalo Trace. So Buffalo Trace whiskey, if you compare it, it runs about $22. So it's comparable to those, uh, you know, Evan Williams and Jim Beam and Jack Daniels, but far better whiskey it, for the a, money. That's a pretty good bottle for the money. Yep. That, that may is. be one of the better bottles in the United States. It and is. then that, the same juice. 10 years old. 10 years Rare. old. And all you had to do is pay $8 for the 10 years. Right. So it's, it's certainly worth it. It's the same juice as Eagle Rare, but in a, um, in a barrel proof, so not, not cut down, is, uh, is this Stag Junior. We love this Stag Junior. That so is really a fine whiskey, if you can this find that. Rare. And you can see this is uh, 64%. I've got another Stag Junior up here that I think is 69%. That's a high. So you think right. about it. A, it. It comes out in different, different, uh, at right, different gravities, and they bottle it at the barrel proof. Well, let's yep. talk about proof. Proof is an interesting, uh, interesting. is an interesting thing. And our advice to you guys is don't drink eighty proof whiskey. Yeah. There's not a reason to buy and drink eighty proof whiskeys because virtually all quality products are bottled at a higher proof than 80 proof, 40% alcohol. And when you see an 80 proof whiskey, you're 99% of the time, you're getting a very low quality product. So you don't drink uh, 80 proof whiskey. Uh, as you find higher and higher proofs, what you'll find is uh, better and better quality. And I think probably the reason for that is that uh, the market has responded to the public's perception of value in higher proofs. And where that, where do you think the, where, how, do you, how did this change? 40 yeah. years ago, most of the whiskey you could, that was available was, sure. bottled at, was bottled at 80 proof, 40% over. alcohol. And over the years, that slowly, that slowly changed until I've got, uh, in fact, I've got a bottle of Stag, of George T. Stag at home, uh, bottle at 71.6%. Yep. Okay, yep. 143.2 proof. Um, very high gravity. It's basically two bottles of whiskey. Yep. Because uh, what, what we typically do is we will pour a dram into a, into a proper glass. You got a proper glass? Hold your proper glass up. Drink whiskey out of a brandy snifter. Uh, you want a glass that concentrates the vapor column over the, over the liquid. Needs to be narrower at the top than, and wider at the bottom. And it is amazing 
Those of you that haven't tried this, you'll be amazed at how much difference the shape of the glass makes in the perception of the product. Uh, and then what you'll do is you'll, you'll add a little water. I keep a little pitcher on my table. In fact, I have a cleaned out Tabasco bottle uh, for just adding a drop at a time. And uh, you'll get to the point where you know precisely where the whiskey you're drinking tonight tastes the best, or this afternoon in the Matt's case, uh, where it tastes the best at, that, at whatever level of water it needs. Uh, in my opinion, most whiskey tastes best at about 80 proof. Yep. But I don't want to buy it like that. I want to right. buy a higher quality, more concentrated product, and then take the concentration, take the gravity back down to 80% with my water. Yep. Because this gives me the, the flexibility I need to, de to determine what that particular whiskey needs on this particular day. And uh, so our advice is to not buy 80 proof whiskey. Yep. Buy higher gravity whiskey and water it now. Our advice is to get good glasses to drink your whiskey out of. If you're going to spend money on whiskey, then spend money on glasses too. You get to reuse those. Yep. Uh, Matt was telling me. Uh, I, you'll get, the, you, you can find these at flea markets for a well, buck a they're, piece. No, I mean, 50 cents. We buy them at Goodwill in all the towns yep. we go to to do. Yep. We go to the Goodwill store and buy eight of those for a quarter for 50 cents a piece yep. and uh, then just give them to the gym owner when we leave. But uh, uh, if, if that was, was it you that was telling me a story of, uh, of the bar you guys have there in Springfield where the, the frat boys come in and order a shot of Pappy. Yeah. Yeah. They, and they wanted it in a, and they wanted to you know, rocks glass or, or a rocks glass, or yeah, rocks open. glass or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's just oh, that's just absolutely indicative of the douchebags that are that are drinking this stuff right now. You guys are douchebags, you know. Uh, get out of the way, for God's sakes! Go back to the frat house. Yeah. You know, but uh, the rest of us are, you know, adults trying to have a conversation about this. And you guys walk in and shoot. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Uh, anyway, well, that takes up a lot of time talking about something that you guys probably don't care anything about. But uh, in closing, what's our best advice? What's your, what's your favorite recommendation for an entry-level good bottle of whiskey? I've already yeah. given you mine. Sure. I think if people are trying to find, they're trying to build a, an early, hey, I want to taste some differences. I think Eagle Rare is the best place to start. That's what you said. That's a high corn bourbon. I think if I wanted to go with a high rye bourbon, still made from mostly corn, I would go with Old Granddad 114. Uh, that's 114. It's also fruit, reasonable. Five bucks. It's great price. Right. And then I would I would do a, a nice MGP rye. My favorite is a smooth amber rye. I think that's the best for the price. For the right, it looks like this. If you can find that, that's an all, that's another very very good. It runs about forty dollar bottle yeah, of forty of bucks, and it's really good for rye. And it's it's you know it's it's spicier and pepper more pepper. I also think that if you're gonna make a mixed drink with whiskey, like again a standard an old fashioned or a Manhattan or a Sazerac, you should make it with rye. I think the rye holds up better because it's got that more pungent, spicier, right. it's just peppier. Got a little you know, bit more. 
more palate to it than a, yep. than a corn would, bourbon. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I just would make that with less of a high corn bourbon and more with a either a high rye bourbon or an actual rye. So that, that would be where I start. And then the other rye is the uh, Rittenhouse Bottled in Bond. That runs about $21. That is an excellent that rye. That may be the best buy in North America yep. for a bottle of whiskey. For the money and the quality, Rittenhouse Bottled in Bond, which means it's uh, 100 proof, 50% yep. alcohol. Anytime you see bottled and bond, it's it's 50 proof, uh, 100 proof, and uh, for the money, between Rittenhouse bottle and bond, Eagle Rare, and uh, OG that OGD 114, that's a that's a good place to start your shelf. So uh, you know you'll you'll need to go to more than just a corner liquor store to find all of these. Uh, but there are places across the country with excellent whiskey distribution. Colorado has got excellent whiskey distribution. Uh, Texas, not so much. Uh, you live in a state uh, with uh, state-owned liquor stores. God help you. Yeah, uh, But, uh, you know, when you travel, go to the bigger liquor stores and look on the shelves and see what they've got. I've wasted, just as a personal note, I've wasted a lot of money buying craft-produced bourbons. Uh, in my opinion, it's a waste of money. Yep. If you've never heard of it, if you've got the money and you want to just see what it tastes like, go ahead, but you're probably going to be disappointed. Uh, yep. uh, get online, do your homework, and uh, enjoy your uh, uh, trip down the uh, whiskey trail. Thanks, Matt, for being with us today, and we appreciate you guys watching us on the podcast. Later.